Hello everyone and welcome to A-Ball with Eric Os. I am Eric Os, and it is good to have you with us for what is episode number 16 as this week we'll be talking with one of the Lumber Kings outfielders, Peyton Burdick. We should say recording this following a Monday matinee win and come from behind fashion over the Fort Wayne Tin Caps on July 15th. And Peyton Burdick, he was a hero, so a very good guy to talk to. Now we did talk with him before his heroics, of course, but Peyton with a three-run homer in the 10th inning in dramatic fashion, maybe the most dramatic homer run of the season for the Lumber Kings as they beat the Fort Wayne Tin Caps for the third straight time to complete their three-game series sweep. We talked about a lot of history the Lumber Kings had been making over the last couple of episodes here of A-Ball. While it has continued, that three-game series sweep as we flipped through the media guide, first time ever in franchise history that the Lumber Kings had swept the Tin Caps, and they've been playing since 1993. Now, the home runs for the Lumber Kings as of late have come in dramatic fashion, although they've been kind of few and far between. We have seen the home run from Peyton Burdick here today on Monday, July 15th, and then before that, Will Banfield had homered in what was game one of this series. Lumber Kings would have a come-from-behind win against Fort Wayne 5-4. Banfield's home run had gone for his eighth of this season, but kind of oddly for a team that has had quite a bit of home runs this season, those have been their only two home runs over their last five games. So they've made them count, but it has been few and far between. The reason why the Lumber Kings have been so successful with the lack of power has been regular strong pitching and also phenomenal hitting, which is starting to really pick up with the likes of Thomas Jones and Connor Scott that we'll get into, but first we'll look at the pitching side of things for the Lumber Kings full report on the Miami Marlins single A affiliate here in the Midwest League. Now the pitching has been strong. Just a couple of weeks ago we talked with Jake Walters, one of the Lumber Kings' six starters as they have expanded this rotation in the second half. And Walters, since we have talked to him last, maybe a podcast bump is what we can call it because he's been one of the best pitchers for the Lumber Kings. The 23-year-old right-hander out of the University of Alabama who was selected by the Marlins in the ninth round of the 2018 draft. Well, he got his first professional career win on July 8th out at Northwestern Medicine Field, the home of the King County Cougars, single-A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Walters so sharp in that appearance. Six and two-thirds innings did not allow a run. He only surrendered two hits, but the issue for Walters was five walks. Now, he did get that win for the Lumber Kings, which would be needed as that was a series win against Kane County. Then his next outing, which came on the day we record this on July 15th. Walters was even better. He went eight innings, a professional career high for innings worked, and Walters, unfortunately though, would get a no decision, but how about the line? Three hits are allowed. They were mainly scattered. He surrendered only one run, which was unearned, walked a batter and struck out four, so the walks had gone down, and Walters' ERA has now plummeted to 3.2 on this season. Walters has been part of a very dominant pitching staff as of late that has seen the likes of Remy Reed make his Lumber Kings debut. One of the new Lumber Kings here in Clinton. Read a sixth round selection in the 2016 draft by the Miami Marlins. Earned a win in his debut just two days ago which was against the Fort Wayne Tin Caps as Lumber Kings just continue to just pick up right where they had left off. The bullpen has been sharp as well. Saw the likes of Rael Brito get the win on Monday for a one and two-third inning win or one and two-third innings of work, rather, for the Lumber Kings. Kind of regular late inning reliever. Got a great curveball, too, for Brito just on the scouting report. Something to keep an eye on. That's the nose-to-toes type curveball for Brito. But the offense has also backed up this strong pitching, which was an issue at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. Now the offense has come to play. And you can highlight two guys in particular. 
Both of them we've had on the podcast, so you may be familiar with them. And, of course, all Marlins fans should be familiar with the likes of Connor Scott. He was their first-round selection for the Marlins in last year's draft. And how about the way Connor has begun to heat up? Now, he's just 19 years of age, and so maybe at the beginning of the season, Marlins fans might have thought, oh, no, it's been a rough start for Connor. I mean, the guy, he was batting 193 on May 18th, so that's just about seven weeks of baseball that are through, not a limited sample size. Well, the average, we are happy to report, it has gone gone up. It has come with lots of power, in particular extra base hits in the form of doubles, not necessarily in home runs, as Scott has just the four home runs on this season. But on June 25th, Connor Scott, he was batting 218 on this season, the average steadily climbing, but not really breaking out as of yet. Well, over the last month, maybe even less than that, maybe three weeks, it has gone up by over 30 points. Connor Scott batting 249 now on this season. As we mentioned, lots of doubles, extra base hits, and RBIs. Scott has seen that RBI total climb steadily throughout this season, now 32 of them on this season, and then he added his 33rd on Monday, July 15th. Every run needed in the Lumber Kings, 6-5, to 11-inning victory over the Fort Wayne 10 caps. And Scott has in that time been moving between a leadoff role, which is where we had seen him at the beginning of the year, and the three spot. We've been seeing Connor go the opposite way a little bit more. It's where the doubles have really come, as he is not afraid to take it out into left field. He's been wearing out the left field corner here in Clinton as of late, and that's why the doubles for Connor have also gone up as well. He's now got 18 of them on this season. He has been a mainstay in the Lumber Kings lineup all season long, but now starting to get some results. A 19-year that is beginning to figure things out as a first-round pick for the Miami Marlins, and it has played off the success of Thomas Jones. So Thomas Jones, also a guy that we had spoken with just a couple of weeks ago, I guess, well, now maybe a month or so ago as all the days seem to blend together once you're during the season. Jones, a 192 hitter on June 20th, and you may think, well, this wasn't a good start either for Thomas. He didn't have his first hit until the third series of the season, but a third-round pick by the Miami Marlins in what was the 2016 draft, a South Carolina native, that average has skyrocketed as of late. He's now batting 226 on the year. Jones has also been using his speed, as have the Lumber Kings all season long. It is really beginning to pay dividends. Jones had a stolen base on July 15th as well. It was his 15th of the season. A team that is really on the move like the leases up, in the words of the artist Drake, because Christopher Torres also had a stolen base, his 14th of the season. And the speed for Thomas is not just evidenced in stolen bases. Something that you'll notice from the Lumber Kings as of late, this is one of the more aggressive teams in all of the Midwest League when it just comes to their style of batting. You will not see a team, and we don't have any stats for this, but we're just going to take a, a shot in the dark here. But no team has more safety squeezes than the Clinton Lumber Kings. They do it quite regularly. In fact, in their come-from-behind win against the Fort Wayne 10 Caps, which was back on July 13th, Thomas Jones had the winning hit. It was a safety squeeze with the runner at third. Obviously runs at a premium. We talked with Mike Jacobs about that because we're just wondering exactly what was going on. You rarely see it at all in a season, and the Lumber Kings have three safety squeeze wins on the year. And we asked Mike, and he said, well, that's one of the toughest places to defend on the field. And when you've got a guy like Thomas Jones, who is so fast, you may as well use that speed. And when any time you've got a third baseman that's playing back, which has been the case with some of these Lumber Kings speedy batters, they will go for it. And it has been a rather successful 
play that has been used for the Lumber Kings and part of their run of success here in the second half. Now 93 games that are in the books here in the 2019 season, and the Lumber Kings are in first place in the Western Division. We record this again on July 15th, a 17-7 and record for the Lumber Kings, already 10 games over 500. They had picked up their 50th win of the season overall, a 50-43 and record on the year, and then they will head on out to the Eastern Division to take on the likes of the Great Lakes Loons, the single-A affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers for a three-game series that will start on Wednesday, July 17th and come to an end on Friday, July 19th. That road trip will continue with three more against the Lansing Lugnuts starting on Saturday, July 20th, and then ending on Monday, July 22nd. That's the single-A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. So that will be the end of the Eastern Division, a division which has been very tough, at least in the first half on the Lumber Kings. In the second half, not so much. The Lumber Kings completing a six-game homestand against the Lake County Captains, the single-A affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, and concluding this three-game series with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, the single-A affiliate of the San Diego Padres. In six games, they won five of them, five and one in the homestand for the Lumber Kings, a first-place team in the Western Division. One of the big reasons why? Well, Peyton Burdick, and he'll be joining us next here on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. And welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. We're now joined by one of the Lumber Kings outfielders, Peyton Burdick, one of the 2019 members of the Miami Marlins draft class. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess let's go over what has been a whirlwind, right, for you, the beginning of a professional career. It's been a rather effective start for the Clinton Lumber Kings' oh, yeah. newer faces. So what has been the couple of months like from being a college student to a professional athlete and now a Clinton Lumber King? <laughs> it's, it's been a shock, honestly. It's it's you can never really expect like what's going to happen because you never know what's going to happen so just going from being a college athlete to a pro athlete it's been a good experience it's been a lot, all over the road a lot of traveling and honestly I've been dreaming of this since I was little so I can't really complain. When do you think that moment it occurred to you that you wanted to go into the professional ranks because we'll, we'll talk about it too during the uh, interview but you come from an athletic family and when did it hit your mind right away that that's what I want to do is it something that maybe you could point to your dad having <laughs> done that that don't want to follow in those footsteps so to speak? Yeah it, it's ever since I was little I have an older brother and he and I playing in the backyard it's always been our dream. Uh, my dad kind of set that standard of uh, to do your best and be the best person you can be and push us to be professionals at everything we did. And baseball w ended up working out for me, so I'm honestly blessed. And I would say so because we're talking with Peyton Burdick, who was taken in the third round out of Wright State by the uh, Miami Marlins. At Wright State, when you found out that obviously you were being scouted for the a professional career because you're taking that early on it was their coaches and staff that were able to help with that transition because that's got to be kind of daunting right when you find right. out that you're leaving the college campus and that you're not going to be an amateur athlete anymore right it, I mean we have a we're surrounded by a bunch of uh, alumni that ended up getting the opportunity to play professional baseball so they kind of talk to you about it and our coaches have all well a couple of them have played professionally so they kind of like make the environment after professional baseball so you kind of know what you're getting into and um, yeah, they make the transition a lot easier because they're always there to mentor you. And if you ever need anything, like our coach already came up and saw us when we played Kane County because a pitcher, Ryan Weiss, pitched against us. And 
uh, he ended up coming up to see both of us. So it's it's kind of nice uh, having them there. What did they uh, tell you when you were getting scouted? Was there anything that maybe stuck with you that uh, they, that maybe helped you get prepared for that uh, professional career that has really just begun for you just a couple of months now? They kind of just told me, like I kind of told them I didn't want to hear anything. Like I just want to focus on the moment. And the best advice that they told me is just be you. Like don't try to do anything different. Don't change. Just do you and everything will work out the way you want it to. So, um yeah, just being easy and being simple and just being who I am every day. When we were talking with you out in Beloit, you were mentioning, I think it was the legs and the arms coming together for you as uh, you were developing, I guess, and right. becoming a, a professional athlete. So out of high school, what were some of the growing pains that you had that maybe you had gotten through in the college ranks and, and led to you being selected in the third round? Uh, I'd say, honestly, the development that our program has, they put in a system and they follow the plan every day and our uh, strength and conditioning staff at Wright State is top-notch. Um, you walk in, you don't see the big flashy weight room that you see at, like, all these Power 5 schools, but you see a strength coach that knows what he's doing and, and just hungry guys you're surrounded by, and they just push you to be better every day and just working out. I worked out a lot, uh, started eating right, eating clean, knowing what to eat. Uh, and then uh, the training that we did on the field, or uh, Coach Tallarico does a lot of the base running stuff, and he's been offered some pro jobs, and it, it just hasn't worked out for him. So he's uh, still at right state, and uh, he kind of taught me how to run because, like, everybody knows how to run, but he taught us, like, the technique and stuff. And I ended up trimming down some of the, the time on my 60s and got a little faster and figured out my body a little more and developed. And I put on probably, like, 25 pounds of muscle since uh, I got out of high school. And, I mean, I can't I can't even, like, believe it. And still shocking. What What is that like, too, with the finding out how to eat? Because I'm still, I guess, trying to do that as a broadcaster. What did you find out that you had to cut out? And what is what it changed like? I imagine you feel a lot different, too, just based on the diet that they always say you are what you eat, right? right and so right. Uh, what, what was that epiphany like for you? Uh, it changed my energy, honestly, and then just day-to-day. -day. So, like, just eating grilled food and trying to eat as much as I can. So I got on, like, a 4,500, 5,000 calorie-a-day diet and um, – Basically, it got to the point where I just see food, eat food, and just eat anything that I could because I knew I'd work it off because I was working out so much. But um, now it's more eating clean and keeping your body in, in good shape. You mentioned those uh, the help of the alumni, too. What were some of the uh, names that were able to guide you to that uh, path of the major or with the professional ranks? Yeah, so Sean Murphy's a big one, uh, Mitch Roman. Um, you got Jesse Schultons, Robbie Sexton, Danny Sexton, um, just to name a few off the top of my head, and then guys that got picked up last year that I was real tight with, like Gabe Snyder, Matt Morrow, um, and uh, who else? We got Gabe Snyder, Matt Morrow, and then we got Caleb Sampin, um, and they all come back around, and it's like they just talk to you like, like you're still their best friend, and like nothing's ever changed, and uh, they kind of give you a heads up of what to expect and uh, just tell you like about their experience, and it kind of gets your mind ready. Well, what has Wright State been like lately? Because just as a broadcaster in this league, we've seen a lot of guys come out of Wright right. State lately. Gabe Snyder was in this league last season. You mentioned uh, uh, Weiss out in uh, Kane County and, of course, yourself. So it seems like a program that is certainly on the rise as of late, maybe speaking to those coaching, the talent of that coaching staff. Did, was that some, some of a vibe that you had picked up out there, that this was a program on the rise and maybe a reason for selecting that school when you're coming out of high school? Uh, coming out of high school um, is – Coach Mercer kind of really talked me like talked to me about how like I was undersized and how really no other uh, no no other program really wanted me as much as Wright State and they really saw something in me and 
I don't want to give away all Wright State's like hidden stuff <laughs> that they look for, but uh, they like to recruit athletes over there and then work on baseball from that because it's easier for uh, athletes to adapt than somebody coming in that's not really athletic and um, yeah, I don't want to spill too many other recruiting <laughs> tactics, but don't worry, we're not investigative journalists here, <laughs> so we will keep the, <laughs> the the prying questions, I suppose, to a minimum. But that's from your home state, right out in Ohio. Is that close to your hometown? Did that factor into the decision as well that you could be home to some or close to some home cooking? Oh yeah, it was nice. I was only an hour away from home, and I had my aunt right there in Oakwood, which was 10, 15 minutes away. So anytime I needed. A nice little home-cooked meal, or if we had, like, a family gathering, we'd always go up to Dayton because it's easier for me just to go 15 minutes, and they'd all come up. And I really appreciate that because, you know, getting time with family, like, when you're away for a while is, is pretty nice. It's pretty refreshing. gets your minds off things. And we were in Dayton earlier this season. Did you ever go out to Fifth Third Park, the home of the single-A affiliate for the Cincinnati Reds? It's always selling out, too. Have you ever been to a game there? Yeah, well, I went – I went to one, actually. I went to one, and we played there a couple times. Uh, my buddy Caleb Sampin plays for the BG Hot Rod, so uh, we went and supported him and got to watch him, and it was pretty cool to see it from, from the stands. Yeah, Mike Jacobs, he said it was, uh, I think, like a triple-A stadium when we were there. It was pretty fun to be around. Whenever you're around, I think it was 9,000 fans. It's hard to not yeah. have a good time. And now that you're in the single-A ranks, but let's go over the moment when you had been drafted. You knew it was coming. Who were you with, and, and what kind of moment was that like for not just you the friends the family everyone involved so it was kind of crazy because you never know how the draft's going to work out but um my family I just wanted to keep it small I didn't want to do anything crazy just just be with the ones that I love and support me every day and um they ended up coming up to my apartment in Dayton and um we sat there and watched it and I kind of knew before the draft like where I was going um because I had some representation that was helping me out and uh, it was just real real nice knowing, like, before the draft started, like, where I was kind of going. and uh, We got ready for the moment, and then it happened. And uh, it was just crazy, like, just all you work for your whole life to, to get to that next level because you, you set goals, and um, reaching one of those goals is real, real exciting. Yeah, the professional. You talked about your brother, right, playing, I imagine, some wiffle ball games in the oh, backyard, yeah. and now some, some reality can be attached to those, too, because you're in the professional ranks. Now, we talked about this when we were with you out in Beloit, mm -hmm. but your dad has some athletic genes as well. You made a joke that maybe it was the lack of speed that ended an <laughs> NFL career for him, but what kind of career did he have at the NFL ranks? Was it the Seattle Seahawks that you were talking about he yeah, had played yeah. with for a season, and, and what kind of uh, where did that uh, lead to, I guess, in your athletic development too from an early age uh yeah so he's with the seattle seahawks for a year he got picked up as a free agent um and you kind of get different stories from different people uh he'll tell you one thing my mom will tell you another my grandparents will tell you one thing but uh yeah the the joke is he was too slow and got cut so um <laughs> we just make fun of him still a little bit for it but he's he's funny about it and he'll, he'll clown us a little bit like make fun of us and just say like things like he'll call me short because I got my mom's height I'm six foot and he's six five and it's just like it's like come on now I can't help that <laughs> yeah you can't you can't get taller sorry yeah. I, I can only wear heels so many times dad <laughs> but uh you know, he was telling you when we were out in Beloit that playing a lot of sports was something that he wanted right. you and your brother to do and you mentioned that being a real help is just a, an athlete getting a lot of experience in different sports sort of that versatility which it seems like you don't see that much in really a whole lot of sports these days that right. you're told to focus on one sport and that's kind of the end of it if you're in baseball you're in travel ball until the end of time until maybe you go into the professional ranks but you were a, a versatile athlete so where does that fit into the type of skills we see from a Peyton Burdick on a given day whether it's the arm or 
uh, the, the intensity, the, the mental mindset that maybe carries over from football. Right. So back in high school, my dad, he made us play three sports. And he said if we didn't play three sports, then we'd have to get a job, pay for, like, car, car insurance, gas, and, like, all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like an incentive to play three sports. But um, playing three sports was the best thing I could have ever done growing up. Uh, just learning, like, basketball really taught me how to move and, like, kept me in shape pretty well. And then football taught me the mentality. And um, going from sport to sport, it can be exhausting. But when you're that little, you can recover like crazy. So it's it's just fun. And, like, I can't think if I didn't play three sports, like, what would happen. And if I could talk to any little kid nowadays, i tell them to go play any sport they could and experience, like, all of them because you never know which one's going to be for you. Well, it's always great when we have a, a new player that comes in and you're kind of figuring them out, right? Because as a broadcaster, you got to tell everyone the scouting report on a certain guy. Well, I think very early on, we told everyone when we give the defensive alignment, when we say Peyton Burdigan left, he's he's no pie thrower out in left field <laughs> because he's got a cannon for an arm. And you mentioned that that was something that you'd done early on in your right. baseball, that you were a pitcher, right? right? So when was that decision made that I'm going to be going into the hitting side of things as opposed <laughs> to the pitching, even though you still use that arm, of course? Right. Uh, I just think in high school, it ended up working out that I really started to get my back going and uh, I could always hit a little bit, and I kind of figured out how to hit a little bit more in high school, and and it just made more sense to play in the field because I could put. I was a utility guy going into college, and then I ended up sticking in the outfield because when you get to college, you got more guys, and uh, yeah, I think that's really what changed my career is just just focusing on hitting after a while. But pitching for sure helped me learn how to throw. Does that help, too, in just the mindset of a pitcher, that you kind of have an understanding of what maybe someone would want to do in a certain situation, or at least understanding that battle that goes on uh, all the time for you is, you know, you've been a pitcher before, so you kind of understand that what the uh, end goal is, so to speak, and yeah. you've been part of scouting reports before. Is that a help at all, too, when you were going more into the offensive side of things, that you kind of had some inside knowledge? Uh, a little bit. It kind of gets you thinking the game a little more when you, you're able to pitch and Hit, hit spots and stuff. But in high school, I would just try to rear back and throw it as hard as I could because I didn't know any better and usually didn't work out for me too well. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you this because we were talking, I think it was Bubba Hollins a couple of weeks ago when we had him on the podcast. And, you know, he's an infielder, so he's involved in a lot more shifts than, I guess, you guys in the outfield. Right. But, of course, the outfield is ever-moving. And it seems over the last couple of years, I think we even talked about this with Frank Moore on the last week's episode, that, you know, every level that you see in minor league baseball, whether it's the major leagues or all the way down here to A, ball it seems like a new guy comes up and there's a whole migration pattern that takes place on the yeah. field is that hard to just keep in the uh, the scouting report of knowing exactly where to be with all these guys and how does that feel and you know maybe not always standing in the same place in the outfield the ever-moving defense that we now live in in the baseball age right uh I think it's sometimes it, it, can, it can be confusing like when you get too much information but uh we talk a little bit before games about how we're going to attack pit, uh, hitters and stuff and uh you kind of learn from the swing during the game too like the the swing in the game will dictate a lot more because people are different on a day-to-day -day basis but uh so really locking it in during the game will will be more beneficial I think because you read the hitter's swing and the strength of the pitcher if he's going to sink it if he's going to throw more inside or so well, we've, uh, we're talking, too, with uh, Peyton Burdick here for the Lumber Kings, one of their outfielders. And we should mention, too, one of the hottest teams right now in the Midwest League as we record this on July 13th. And we're not just talking about the temperature. It is also hot out here in Clinton. <laughs> but, I mean, this team, this offense, after the first half had begun, you were here with the Lumber Kings. They dropped the first three games in Wisconsin. And since then, they've been one of the best teams in all of the Midwest League. They, they say hitting can be contagious at times. Has that been the case with this squad? Of course, you've factored into several of the rallies. 
your fingerprints all over some of the success for the Lumber Kings as of late. Is that the kind of vibe we have with this Lumber King success of, as of late with the clubhouse? We always know a very loose group here in Clinton, right, but right. Um, is that hitting contagious? Because it seems like a far different offensive unit than we had in the first half. Right. Um, I don't think it's always one person, but I do think hitting is contagious. Um, I think being a – I was kind of like a new spark to get some, like, energy in and just different uh, kind of view of things. But um, outside of that, I just think the guys are starting to click. I mean, it's a long season, and guys go through rough patches, and you see it all the time. So I'm not going to say that I was the only reason why the offense took off. But, I mean, these guys are – these are we're professionals. So, I mean, these guys know how to go out and compete and play, and it's just – working out for him and well, everybody here. So It's interesting because it's really the development. I mean, Connor Scott, he's only 19 years old. Right. He's been here all season long, and you see early on in this season, you know, it was very cold too, but uh, a rather rough start for Connor, and then it starts to come along. You see the averages start to climb too. And what was some of the things that you noticed when you got here? I mean, you're coming really straight from college into full season baseball, and this is where they talk about pitchers starting to develop the changeup, mm -hmm. or they maybe start to refine that slider a little bit more. Is that something that you noticed from the college ranks into these ranks that you've had to uh, adapt with I know it's only been a, a few weeks for you here with the Lumber right. Kings but you know it's always uh, something that they always say it's one move made by the pitcher and then the hitter has to adapt to it right. is that sort of the battle that's been taking place for your first couple of weeks here at the Midwest League right yeah I think so uh, especially with the now the technology that they have uh, I mean you'll see tendencies of teams and you see like an area where you struggle and you really get exposed here because teams have that report and share it with and other teams are able to access it. So it's like more teams will uh, attack you kind of one way until you figure it out, and then they'll kind of adapt to that. So, Are you a big uh, stats guy, a big video guy? Because right now baseball, you can be suffocated by all the knowledge. If you want numbers, man, are they there for right. you? You can get <laughs> right. them if you want. Mickey Mantle, I think, once said that he hated the numbers so much that when he went to All-Star Games with Ted Williams that he'd go in a slump for a couple of weeks because Ted was really into the exact swing path and right. the hit trajectory, and Willie or Mickey would start thinking about it too much and, and go over for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but where do you fall on, on the intake of knowledge because it's available, but are you someone that tries to maybe just keep things a little bit more simple, or, or what's the mindset? Set the approach to the game of baseball. So I like a little bit of everything. So I kind of pick and pull from different things. Um, I like to kind of keep it simple, like you said. And, uh, sometimes you can overthink baseball real easy, and sometimes you got to step back and remind yourself you're playing a little kid's game. Like you can go out in your backyard and do this. And when things get a little tough for me, I like to just go play wiffle ball and relax and kind of get my mind off things. Uh, my strength coach at Wright State actually he has the the blitz ball stuff, so the stuff with the crazy curveballs and all that stuff. And uh, I'd have him just throw me pitches like for an hour and it, it'd be fun. We'd start competing and you forget all about it and then you go out to the game later that night and you're like, oh, this is pretty easy. So, Was there a moment when you're coming up too that you started to see the breaking balls a little bit different and notice that they were getting sharper and it was something you'd, you'd have to contend with to adjust to, I guess? Right. There's been – the pitchers up here for sure have more pitches. Uh, you see guys that will spin a, a slider and it's got a, like less depth but more side-to-side -side movement and then you'll see a, a sharp breaker and you got to kind of realize like the difference between the two and then the change-up too. So. Yeah, we were talking with Tyler Mitzel not too long ago, so of course we right. know well about the changeup. Yeah. We were finding out about grips and things like that, and I mean, this goes back to all the numbers that you want, spin rates and things right. like that on the pitching side of things. Are, are those numbers that the hitters get to, to look at a little bit, the higher spin rates, so maybe you look for fastballs high in the zone because they may be able to yeah. get away with it? Is that part of the scouting reports now here at the single-A level? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can kind of tell, too, when a pitcher throws it by his arm slot if it's going to be like 
the spin rate and all that kind of stuff. And when you get in there after your first bat, you really kind of know. And the guys talk in between, like, when you're going on deck and in the dugout. So you get a lot of information during the game, too. And what has the coaching staff been like for you, Mike Jacobs? Of course, a major leaguer. I think he had 100 home runs right. in his major league career and not too far removed from his playing career. Frank Moore, one of the longest tenured coaches in the Miami Marlins minor league system, his 11th season with the Marlins. Seems like a lot of knowledge. They also keep things pretty loose, too. So is this a good group of guys to, to work with in that day-to-day grind that you see here at the full season level? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, they, they're always loose. They have great knowledge for all of us. and. Uh, just being able to kind of pick their brain a little bit and hear what they have to say, it's like, oh, maybe then I don't have to try as hard and like all this kind of stuff. So it's it's there. It's a good staff, and I, I love the, the coaching staffs that I've had so far since I've been in Pro Bowl. Well, we're talking here with Peyton Burdick, and we'll let you go with this because you were not here for opening day, which is okay. It's not your fault, Peyton. <laughs> but we, it meant we could not give you our questionnaire where we try to, you know, have some things to talk about, guys, as we say during my three-hour tap dance during the broadcast where I have to, you know, talk about these guys. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, our toughest questions probably the entire interview, and that is do you have a celebrity crush that we may be able to relay to the fans out there on any given broadcast? <laughs> Uh, you asked me this at Beloit. And I, I've given you time now. It's, it's time, been a couple of weeks, Peyton. I, I still don't think I've come up with one, but there's a there's a couple uh, cute celebrities out there, I would say. Okay, well, what about hobbies? Do you have anything that you do in the uh, w- other than wiffle ball when you're trying to get your mind off the right, game and right. the grind? Is there something that you do to uh, to get away from baseball when you do have those rare off days? Uh, <laughs> so my dad uh, owns a couple jet skis, so we like to take that out to the lake and kind of mess around on those and then uh cornhole too cornhole is one of my favorite things to do so. did you ever watch the uh didn't they bring them up on, on espn, ESPN is, yeah they yeah, championships yeah, it yeah. was so silly that i was really getting into that yeah so was <laughs> i I was like watching i was like what is this doing on espn and then i was like oh this is kind of interesting yeah i mean yeah. there needs to be am i writing a letter to espn for more cornhole coverage <laughs> oh, man well <laughs> we're talking thanks so much with uh peyton burdick for stopping by thank you very much And welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. You just heard from one of the Lumber King's newer faces, but there have been quite a few of them as of late. Peyton Burdick, we thank him for taking some time to talk with us. Back when the Lumber Kings were taking on the Fort Wayne 10 caps and winding down a six-game homestand that ended in a 5-1 to five and one homestand for the Lumber Kings. It doesn't get more successful than that. Included a series sweep of the Tin Caps as we record this on the 15th of July. That was their first in franchise history, and they've been playing Fort Wayne since 1993. A very impressive series win that featured a come-from-behind effort on the first game of that series, Saturday, July 13th. And then on the final game, Monday, a matinee that started at 11 a.m., and the Lumber Kings coming from behind twice to beat the Fort Wayne Tin Caps and still in first place now in the Western Division for the second half. We talked about the speed a little bit when we were getting the intro in and the full report of the Lumber Kings, but there really has to be more focus on the stolen bases before we let you go, and that's because, as we've mentioned, the Lumber Kings with lots of stolen bases as of late. We highlighted Christopher Torres stealing his 14th bag of the season on Monday, July 15th, and Thomas Jones his 15th, also on the 15th. But how about Connor Scott? Just to get back to him, because the average we mentioned continues to climb. What it has 
these men, as we found out, is that Connor Scott has not changed at all his approach on the base pass. This guy wants to go, whether it's stretching a single into a double or moving from first to second on a stolen base. And as he has gotten on base more regularly, he's had more stolen base opportunities. And that has led to 20 stolen bases now on this season. It's the most in the team. On recording this on Monday, July 15th, the fourth most in the Midwest Leagues. Connor Scott just continues to climb up that ladder when it comes to stolen bases. And it is just a theme overall. It's not just a couple of guys. Lumber Kings have now stolen 90 bases on this season. That is ranked as the sixth most in the Midwest League. Maybe think rather pedestrian, but when it comes to what we had seen a season ago back in 2018 when the Lumber Kings were an affiliate of the Seattle Mariners, Lumber Kings played 139 games last season, and they stole 17 fewer bases, 73 of them. So we've already passed them, and the Lumber Kings still have about, all oh, 40 games left, more than 40 games left on the year, so that number will continue to grow as far as the difference between between the 2018 and 2019 squads with stolen bases. We talked with Mike Jacobs about that, and he said it's something you will be coming to expect a little bit more in the second half because the Lumber Kings don't have that big bopper that they once had in the lineup with Sean Reynolds to motion down to the Batavia Muck Dogs. And so more aggressiveness on the base pass, that has certainly been the case. Peyton Burdick, though, had a timely home run for the Lumber Kings in the 10th inning to tie the score at four. And then the Lumber Kings went on for the 6-5 to five win on the 15th of July against Fort Wayne, a team that is playing some very good baseball. It's picked up on the great pitching from the starters and the likes of Jake Walters and Tanner Andrews and Alberto Guerrero and George Soriano and now Remy Reed, who has been added to this Lumber Kings rotation, a rotation that also has the likes of Manuel Rodriguez coming on as a piggyback starter, and he had picked up the win in the Lumber Kings come from behind effort on Saturday night against Fort Wayne. On the bullpen side of things, we have also seen a closer emerge as of late, and that's Zach Wolf. Wolf a Dana Hills, California native, who picked up his seventh win of the season on Saturday night, leading the team in saves, and now 28 of those on the year. Lumber Kings don't look now, but they are tied for the most saves in the Midwest League with the Lake County captains. So it has been an impressive turnaround for a bullpen at the beginning of the year. If you remember listening to the podcast, where we were talking about a lot of blown saves, and that still is the case. Lumber Kings with 28 saves on this season, but have also seen blown saves all over the place. And so when it comes to blown saves for the Clinton Lumber Kings, they still have 14 blown saves, but most of those at the beginning of the season. Now we do like to keep you informed of all the roster moves that occur here down at the Miami Marlins single A level on the farm, so to speak, but there hasn't been any as of late. We mentioned the Lumber Kings all kinds of roster moves for a period of time right after the second half had begun, six of them over a period for three days from the day off on July 9th for the Major League All-Star Game through the first couple of games of the series with the Lake County Captains. But since we last spoke to you, we have not had any. Lumber Kings roster has stayed the same, still a 25-man on the active roster. The last name to be added was Tyler Kolek, the hard-throwing right-hander who was selected second overall by the Clinton or by the Miami Marlins rather in the 2014 draft. We are told that he can get it up to 102 miles per hour on that fastball in the two appearances so far for Kolick. That fastball has been in the low 90s, about topping out around, I'd say, 93 is maybe the hardest we've seen Kolick throw the ball. But I'm sure that will be getting up there a little bit more in velocity as he becomes a little bit more broken into because this is a guy coming off some injuries. Missed the entire 2016 season, only had five appearances in 2017. Another arm to keep an eye on, giving the Lumber Kings two first-round picks now 
on their current roster. And that will do it for episode number 16 of A-Ball with Eric Ose. We want to thank our guest Peyton Burdick for taking some time to talk with us. But before we let you go, let's shamelessly plug the broadcast side of things as you can listen to all of the Lumber Kings action in 2019 with yours truly, Eric Ose, on the call on 100.3 FM at WCCI for those of you in the broadcast range. Of course, if you're out of the broadcast range, you can listen to all Lumber Kings games still, but online via the TuneIn Radio app at LumberKings.com. A big thanks to our guest today in Peyton Burdick and to all of our listeners out there. We certainly thank appreciate you taking the time to listen to episode number 16. We hope to talk to you next week. The team has been so good, though, we'll have to find who exactly we're going to talk to because it's an embarrassment of riches right now. Champagne problems in Clinton. Who will we talk to of all the run of success for the Lumber Kings when we join you next week with episode number 17 of A-Ball with Eric Ose.